0: How would you feel if someone called you the GOAT? Would you take it as a compliment, or would you get mad? Now I think that, uh, you know, years ago, the word GOAT would have been more a derogatory term. Uh, Someone who really messed up, someone who failed, uh, but, oh it's already on the screen, Um, the acronym GOAT, G-O-A-T, is in modern times stands for greatest of all time, the GOAT. This also happens to be one of my top 10 most frequently used emojis according to my iPhone. Uh, but, but greatest of all time. Um, maybe you learned something today about what the word GOAT means. Uh, some of you, some of you already knew, but some of you are like, I'm gonna use that this week, um, the GOAT. And I think that we, uh, it seems like as a society, we are, we're really obsessed with greatness. We really like to talk about who's the greatest in this area, who's the greatest over here, um, who is the greatest of all time. I know I'm a big sports fan, and so sometimes you all have ESPN on in the background or some sports podcast that I'm listening to, and it seems like almost without fail, every week I'm hearing debates about who's the greatest of all time, who's the GOAT? You know, is is Tom Brady, is he the greatest football player of all time? Um, is Novak Djokovic the greatest tennis player of all time? Or maybe one that hits a little closer to home. Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Is it LeBron James or is it Michael Jordan? You know, okay. And these talking heads will just be yammering about this stuff on and on and on it goes. It seems like in recent times we're obsessed with greatness. Well, you know what, though? It turns out, as I was reading my Bible in Matthew chapter 18, seems like this is not just a recent phenomenon, but it turns out that even the disciples of Jesus long ago were obsessed with greatness. And so they they asked Jesus this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? question it almost comes a little bit out of nowhere as you're reading through the gospel who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and so I'm thinking to myself why would they be asking this question and you know you know what I believe why I think they were asking the question because they thought maybe it was one of them they're thinking well there's a lot of there's a lot of disciples of Jesus but we're in the top 12 it's pretty good it's pretty high up there Maybe we're gonna ask and Jesus is gonna say, oh, of course, it's always been you. You're the greatest one. I tell everybody else to be like you, you know? So it shows they were obsessed with greatness as well. And so before we go um, any further into this wonderful text from Matthew 18 today, I want us to to linger here and try to define um, what is greatness, okay? So we have to decide uh, how does the world define greatness? And then how does Jesus define greatness? I won't tell you who's right about it yet, but we'll, we'll, just, we'll look at the world's definition of greatness first. So how does the world define greatness? I don't think it'll take us too long to figure this out because I think our, our natural inclination is to, to, there's certain types of people that we would crown as the greatest. And it tends to be uh, the people who uh, know the most things or who have, the most things, or who can do the most things, or those really annoying people who kind of have all three of those things going for them, right? People who, who it's such people, they're the ones that have uh, the titles and the positions and the statuses, and it's just, you kind of look at it and you're like, well, obviously, um, him and her, like these are the greatest people. So let's all bow down and worship them, and give them all the awards and the plaques and the trophies, and you know you are the greatest. That's what the world would say. It's it's kind of obvious. Just look around. We have good standards to determine who the greatest is. And so the disciples, I think, are carrying this type of understanding with them as they ask the question, "Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" Because they're they're thinking, "Well, how the kingdom's got to be, you know, the same as the world, right?" So I don't think that they were prepared for Jesus to answer. I think they thought, oh Jesus is just gonna kinda confirm our preconceived notions about greatness and then he's gonna tell us which, what the ranking is one through 12 of the disciples. Well Jesus doesn't do this. And so we have, to, we have to look at Jesus' words and we get to see how does Jesus define greatness. Well what does he do? He has, it's kind of a children's message where he uses a child. Uh, So he, he says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Already, we, we hear those words and already there's a huge obstacle in front of us to understand what Jesus is talking about. Because let me tell you, we look at children way differently in the here and now than they did in ancient times, okay? Here and now, we love children, they're amazing, they're awesome, we place the, the greatest value upon children, they're the cutest, they, they say funny things, um, they're adorable, and sometimes, yeah, we, even, we love them so much, we live vicariously through them, don't we? We love children, there's no debating that. In ancient times though, they did not look at children quite the same way. So if, so, um, when Jesus says you have to humble yourself and become like a child, ancient people, the disciples and anyone else hearing this would have said, you're telling me I need to be like a child, someone who doesn't contribute nothing to society. They're just completely, like they, they need everything handed to them. They're totally dependent. Not until they're a certain age can they actually contribute to the family or society. They're just weak and helpless and insignificant. That, that's, the, that's what would have been running through people's minds. Now, I'm sure they love their children, but it was, a, it was more of a, if you're not useful to me, you're kind of useless until you get to a certain age point. So I guarantee you no one in ancient times would have had like, you know, a poster of a child like, this is my role model. I am trying to become like a child. They would have thought, why? Because you know, like if, if you have taken care of children, um, you know, like as an infant, they're completely dependent upon you. I could tell you stories about myself as a teenager where I was completely help- no, I'm not going to go there. Uh, but but <laughs> children sometimes, you know, it's just they're, they're not necessarily the role models in ancient times. Now, sometimes we might talk about, well, they have that simple faith, right? Um, and then there is something to be said for that. But what Jesus is getting at, he is, he is saying the weird thing that the people think he's saying. They just don't quite understand. But he is saying the weird thing. And so this is how we have to sum up what Jesus says about greatness in the kingdom of heaven. He says, in the kingdom of heaven, the greatest people are the ones who are the weakest, the most dependent, the most vulnerable. That's where, that's where he's going with this, this understanding of what children are. They, they are weak and they are dependent and they are, they are vulnerable. And Jesus says, you gotta humble yourself like one of them before God. And that such people are the greatest, okay? So as we go forward now, we, when I use the term the greatest, the greatest people, That's what I'm referring to. The neediest people among us are the greatest. And Jesus says God cares for them. He cares for them so much that he says they are deserving of special treatment. So we're going to look at, we're going to unpack, what does this all mean? How are we called to care for the greatest ones among us? And now sometimes Jesus uses the phrase, he talks about children, but then a couple times in the rest of the 20 verses he talks about little ones, okay? I think whenever he's talking about little ones, he's talking about just the neediest people, the greatest people, children or otherwise. And so now, now that we have this definition, you're, I can tell you guys are thinking, well I wonder who in this church, who, who in this room today is the, is the greatest, right? Looking around, hmm, I could tell you, I'll tell you later. No, um, who's the greatest though? And then, then you start to think, uh oh, what if it's me? Am I the greatest one? Am I the one who is most in need of help from God? And so, in a very real sense, I, I, wanna, I wanna dwell on that for a minute and say, you know, I am the greatest. And also, you are the greatest too because we know full well that we are in a state of complete and utter helplessness and dependence upon God. We are weak unlike any other and there is no way that we can, get our, that we can help ourselves. And so there, I'm, I'm forgetting now. There's, this, there's a condition that we talk about sometimes that, that causes this. What, what is that condition that we, we were born with it? Um, what is it? Can you guys help me? It's sin. The sinful condition that we have, it's, it's in our heart, right? We're born with it. This is the condition that we have that renders us completely weak and vulnerable and needy and it makes us the greatest, right? This is the condition that we have that where it causes us to hear the way that the world would define things and say, oh, that sounds great. That makes sense, yes. And then it causes us to hear the way that Jesus defines things and say, That doesn't make any sense, I don't like that. I'm not gonna follow that way of thinking. So we get it all mixed up. This condition of sin, it causes us to look at one another with eyes that are competitive. I'm looking at you as a threat to my status. You're gonna take something that I deserve. And so we look at each other that way rather than with eyes of care and compassion. So this, is a, this is a bad situation. We there is no way that we can help ourselves get out of this. We are the weakest, the most vulnerable, the most needy. We're the greatest before God, and that is what a blessing it is that Jesus looks at you and me, and he he looks at us and he says these are the greatest ones. I consider them to be the greatest because Jesus, Jesus, you know, he should have gotten all, all the status all the bowing down, all the trophies. He's a son of God, come down from, it, from heaven into this world. He should have got everything. Jesus regarded us as the greatest, regarded us as in need of the special treatment, of the care, and he made himself last. He made himself least, and he went and suffered and died, laid down his life in the lowest way imaginable, so that he might exalt us, the greatest, back into relationship with God, back into his family to forgive our sins, to give us new life. This is what Jesus did for us by going through the depths of the cross and dying and rising again. So Jesus now, he's made us the greatest, and he has brought us back to life. He has helped us according to all of our most desperate needs. And so, so now, you guys, you guys are in the kingdom of heaven, okay? This is, this is your status. You are in the kingdom of heaven, you are children of God. And so now, now we have to, so we have to think about that. We have to remember this every day, that, that I am the greatest, you are the greatest. But there, so that, that's one sense of who we are. But there's another sense, and this is, I think this is gonna make sense, hopefully. There's another sense where we can, we can look around in the kingdom of heaven, and especially in our little corner of the kingdom of heaven, which is called St. Paul, here in this Christian community of people, there's a sense in which we can look around and we, and we know that there are some among us who are the greatest ones. Because the effects, where we live in a broken world, and so the effects of sin and evil and Satan have Have uh, come down and just burdened some of us especially and broken us down so that we're just kind of at our lowest point. And Jesus says, it is these people among us that we are to look at and to value as the greatest. And we are to look at at these people and to say "You you are worth special treatment here in the kingdom because Jesus does things different. The temptation is sometimes even in a Christian community to look at the people, at the greatest people, as problems, right? Troublemakers, people I'd rather not have in my church. That's the temptation, that's the sinful nature messing with our eyes. That's not how we are to regard one another. And so as we go further here, I want us to ponder this question. What is our relationship and calling toward the greatest people among us. And so Jesus, uh, this, is, this is in no way an exhaustive list, I'm sure, but Jesus lists off three particular situations, three particular groups of people that he would say, here are the greatest among you. And these are people worthy of your care. So he says, first of all, this is just going through the rest of the 20 verses that we have in our gospel reading. He says, first of all, the greatest people are people who are struggling with temptations to sin. They are the greatest. He says, secondly, The greatest people are those who have wandered away, like the lost sheep, right? The people who have wandered away. They're they're the greatest. And then lastly, Jesus says, the greatest people are people who have sinned against you. Brothers and sisters in Christ who have have sinned against you personally. Jesus says, here are the greatest people in your midst. And he says, I care about them. I care about the greatest people, and so should you. You. And so Jesus gives us these, he kind of heals our eyes because we're not, we're not to look at each other with competitive eyes like the world would, like the disciples were back then, like, we, like, like is our default mode of seeing, right? We are not to look at each other that way. We are to look at each other with caring eyes and to regard each other, You know, th- knowing how, how great we were at one time, right? and knowing that it's probably gonna come full circle again. I'm gonna be the greatest another time, but right now, maybe you're the greatest, and I'm gonna care for you. I'm gonna look at you with the eyes of Jesus. I, I was, when I was studying for this passage, because this was, this was a tough passage, I thought. I thought there was, there was a lot going on in here, and I was reading a, a commentary written by uh, a guy who I had as a seminary prof, and he had this one line in here describing uh, what we, how we are to, to live among each other. He says, we, we are to offer virtually unlimited care and forgiveness to the greatest ones among us. I'm like, wow, virtually unlimited care and forgiveness. That, that's how it works in Jesus' kingdom? Well, that's how, Je- that's how it works for Jesus to us. So having received this, we share it in the same way. So I want to dig in for the rest of our time uh, with these, these three groups of the greatest and kind of talk a little bit about them first Jesus talks about our brothers and sisters who have been overtaken by temptations to sin it's easy for us sometimes to look at people you know, right? isn't it so easy to look at people who have different struggles than you and to look down upon them and to think why can't they get their act together? Should they even be in our church if they're gonna keep doing that thing? Sometimes we might use our status you know, to kind of like, uh, like to uh, abuse and confuse such people. Jesus calls out you know, woe to those who would bring temptations to sin or, or really, really you know, woe, to, woe to us if we're not trying to help those who are burdened with temptations to sin. So if we are aware of people struggling, the greatest people among us, right, struggling with temptations to sin, it is our calling to look at them with care and to go to them and to pray for them, to pray with them, maybe even to, as we, as we speak to them and, and as we see the hurt and the brokenness in them, to wipe the tears away from their eyes and to remind them of the unlimited grace and forgiveness that is there for them in Jesus. And to, to show them, hey, here's the path. Here, you repent and you turn back, and you just, you, here's the, here's the well worn path back to Jesus. You see why it's so well worn? It's because I've gone on this path a lot. And you, we can lead them together to go back and remind them Jesus loves them, He cares for them, and that His forgiveness is for them, even when they're in the midst of just being broken down, because it's the. 19th time in a row that they've succumbed to this temptation. They are the greatest among us, Jesus says. He goes on to say that those who are wandering away from Jesus, those who are wandering away from the flock, they are also the greatest ones, and it is worth every effort that we make to try to, to go and find them, to call them back into the family of God. It is worth it. That's what Jesus does, right? He leaves the 99 to go get the one. They deserve the special treatment. They are the greatest, the one that wanders away, Jesus says. And it's, it's a difficult thing, I think, in the modern church because I believe that we are probably less connected than Christians have ever been, you know, like, like centuries ago even. Even though, theoretically, we have more ways to connect with one another Uh, they're they're more superficial probably, and maybe we don't even make use of them in the right ways as much as we should. But how important is it for us to create spaces, to be really intentional about creating relationships and spaces where we as brothers and sisters in Christ, as fellow sheep in the shepherd's flock, can can be together more so that, uh, for one thing, so that we can receive care from one another but also so that when we recognize someone close to us is the greatest among us at that time that we can go get them before they've wandered off too far. It's almost like coming together for worship regularly is important to that end, right? It's almost like getting into a a grow group and getting into a Bible study group is important to forge and strengthen those relationships so that we can care for each other as Jesus intends. Now Jesus and I have saved the most difficult group for last. This is the group, the greatest group, who has sinned against you personally. These people might not even be sorry. Maybe they've done it more than one time. Oh, how, how hard it is to regard such people as the greatest among us. And so we have here Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. It Talks about different steps that you can take when someone has sinned against you. Now, it is meant to provide a pathway for repentance and reconciliation and restoration. But it has also historically been used, and legitimately so, it's been used by the church um, for what is called church discipline. If there is someone Uh, a member of our Christian community who is unrepentant of their sin. They are not sorry, they are being stubborn and remaining firm in that sin if there are some steps to address them one-on-one and then with a few other people and then even with a whole community and to call them to repentance. And sometimes, sadly, they they might need to be lovingly excluded from the church for a time, but again, the goal is to bring them back. Kind of to shock them, to show how serious this is, but ultimately to bring them back. Now sometimes, we sinful people will look at, these, at this passage and say, oh look, here's some instructions of how to get rid of the people that we don't like. How to, just, how to feel good about uh, casting aside someone that has sinned against me. I think, I think sometimes it gets, you know, like, what are the rules to get rid of the problem child, right? That's not the way this is intended. Jesus is saying that even the people who have sinned against you, maybe the people who have hurt you the most, they are the greatest and deserving of care and forgiveness from us. These are the the rubber meets the road kind of uh, teachings from Jesus. And I gotta be real honest with you, I have, I have a, a complicated relationship with them, maybe this will resonate with some of you. I hear these words from Jesus and on one hand I love them because he, it's like he, he's making scales fall from my eyes and I can see clearly, oh, so that's how things work in the kingdom. What a beautiful thing. Um, and I'm happy to know how I, how I am called to live among my brothers and sisters. And then on the other hand, I really dislike these words, these teachings, because they're so hard. Easier said than done, right, to regard some of these groups as the greatest among us. But we would do well to chew on these words of Jesus and to remember every day how needy we were, how we were the greatest of all time at one time, and how Jesus gave us everything, cared for us, loved us, forgave us. We would do well to remember that so that we can regard one another as the greatest. May may Jesus grant this to us here in our little kingdom, or in our little corner of the kingdom, May he grant this to us to regard each other as the greatest and love and care and forgive as Jesus has for us. In his name. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your words. Your words that flip our understanding of greatness upside down. Help us to regard our brothers and sisters, when they are beaten down and broken down by sin as the greatest ones. Help us to show them that special treatment of love and care and forgiveness, that that same special treatment that we have received from you. In your name we pray.